Philippians chapter 3. We're going to continue in the broad sense in our uh, journey that we began at the beginning of 2015, kind of a series called Pressing On. Pressing On in 2015. And we've seen in these verses, Philippians 3, uh, starting in verse 12. Let's go ahead and read that, then we'll pray. The Apostle Paul says about his pressing on, he says, Philippians 3.12, Not that I have already obtained all this, or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward, in Christ Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, once again, we thank you for your word. Thank you for our time of worship so far this morning. And as uh, we desire to press on in our sanctification process, as we desire to be actively engaged in our relationship with you, Lord, these past several weeks we've been uh, understanding biblically uh, this issue of sin and this issue of, of of this covenant relationship that we are placed into when we put our faith in Christ. And and so, Father, my prayer for us again this morning is that through your Holy Spirit, you will speak, you will teach, that we wouldn't just be hearers, but ultimately doers of the Word. And once again, in doing the Word and obediently uh, carrying out your Word, our lives would be transformed, our hearts would be transformed, and we would be more and more like your son, Jesus. So we love you and uh, ask you now to do what only you can do through the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So the Apostle Paul says, hey, I'm not perfect, but I see this goal in mind, and the goal is to be like Jesus. And if you're a believer, that's, that's your goal too. It's called sanctification. Until we uh, are called home to heaven, we are in this process called sanctification. And Philippians 3, we've seen since the beginning of the year, we are called to press on, to actively engage and be a part of the sanctification process. One of the things that we've been covering over the last several weeks is, well, I have this desire to press on. I have this desire to press on. But you know what? There's this thing called sin that I still battle with. Anyone? Anyone here desire to press on and be more like Jesus? Anyone here still battle with sin? Right? Got me. You got me, right? All of the above. And we're, we're understanding biblically, hopefully, that sin isn't just a bunch of rules. Isn't just a bunch of do's and don'ts. In fact, look on the uh, cover of your bulletin there. Right? Look on the cover. I, I, I came across this quote this week and I really, really liked it sermon today is called, Who's the Boss? But look at the quote by Joseph Stowell. It says, If Christianity is dull and boring, if it is a burden and not a blessing, then most likely we are involved in a project, not a person, a system, not a savior, rules rather than a relationship. I mean, we could kind of call it right there and just have you think about that for a week and come back. Because how many of us Wake up each day as a believer enthused about a relationship with the Lord. Versus, I wake up in the morning like, oh man, I hope I don't blow it too bad. 
I hope at the end of this day my scorecard balances out in my favor. Right? Many of us, even as Christians, we're focused on do's and don'ts and rules and regulations and got to do this, got to go to church, got to go to Wednesday night, got to give, got to serve. And if we're not careful, we get consumed with the system of Christianity. And that really applies even to our view of sin, right? We think that there's, a, there's some sort of this uh, matrix algorithm that God has, and here's sin, and, and we hope at the end it balances out in our favor, even as believers. And, and one of the things that we've been trying to, to really get from here to here the last several weeks is sin is really relational. Sin is relational, Okay. It's not just not doing things out of fear. It's making choices in my life as a believer out of love. Out of love. A lot of believers are still, you know, you make it through every day, but you're just hoping, you know, that, that God doesn't get too mad at you. Right? And then you carry guilt, and you carry shame, and you carry embarrassment and condemnation. Then the devil comes in and says, I told you, I told you, I told you, see, see, see. And a lot of us as believers, we're just carrying this massive weight. And that's not what it was intended to be. God says, what's the greatest command? To love. Love. Right? And, and so even our choices regarding sin have to flow out of what? Love. Love. Now, are there consequences? Yes. But the primary motive that God calls us to in a covenant relationship with Him is what? Love. Love, right? It's personal. It's relational, right? And so you've seen your notes there. It says believers enter into a covenant relationship with God, right? We discuss grace through faith. You're not saved by works, right? Grace is not a license to sin, right? The last few weeks, we, we, we really focused on entering to a covenant is the end of independent living. So here's the thing. Quick review. When you place your faith in Jesus... When you become a Christian, you are put into a covenant relationship with God. Covenant. The, the, the highest example in the Bible is marriage, right? When two people get married, it's the end of independent living. It's now we. It's an inseparable bond. It's a union of we. When you become a Christian, you are put into a covenant with God. It's the end of independent living. And we talked about that the last several weeks, right? You've met my my new pet in my office, and we talked about my fish. My fish is designed to flourish in what? Water. If fish says, I'm tired of water, I want to be out there with you, what's going to happen to fish? Not going to do too well, right? Everything the fish needs is in the water. We've learned that everything we need as humans, we are created to flourish in covenant relationship. Everything we need, we were designed to be in relationship with God. And we get in trouble when we step out and want to do our own thing, like Mr. Fish, right? And so we saw that it's the end of independent living. You see there in your notes, freedom is not the absence of limitations and constraints, but it is finding the right ones. Those that fit our nature and liberate us. You see, when you put your faith in Jesus, you're entering into a covenant relationship with God and there's freedom. Amen? Now, that should be an amen because you're, freedom, you're free from what? Okay? Slavery to sin. 
You're free from the Mosaic law. Is that worth an amen? Right? You're free. Here's the great. You're free to pursue Jesus and be all that God intended and designed you to be. There's freedom. Right? When you become a believer, this freedom is all designed to honor and glorify Him. It's not designed to be about me. Right? We didn't get to this last week, and I, these are really wonderful verses. It says, what are we to do with our freedom? Right? Let's turn to First Peter. It's to the right. Hebrews, James, First Peter. You're going to go write several books in your Bibles. So we have this incredible biblical truth that in Christ we are free. Free from slavery to sin. Free from the Mosaic Law. Free to be all that God created us to be, right? Through the power of the Holy Spirit. Look at 1 Peter 2.16. What are we to do with this freedom? Here it is. Live as free men. But do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. First Peter 2.16, hey, enjoy your freedom. Woohoo! Celebrate your freedom. But don't turn it into a self-centered, self-indulgent thing. He says, use your freedom to live as what? A servant of God. And we're going to talk about that in a couple of weeks. This, this, this wonderful sort of crazy idea that I'm completely free in Christ, but now I'm a bondservant of God. How, do those, how does that work? We're going to talk about that. But 1 Peter 2.16 says, hey, celebrate your freedom. Live as free men. But do it to serve God. Right? So it's vertical. And then look at Galatians uh, 5.13. You're going to go back left. Galatians, Ephesians. Galatians is after 2 Corinthians. Right? So we're learning that freedom is not independence. We're not called to live independent of God. We're actually very dependent on Him. The Bible says without you we can do nothing. Right? But look at Galatians 5.13. You, my brothers, were called to be what? Free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. There you go. Kind of sounds like the first two commandments, the greatest commandments, right? He says, hey, First Peter, live as free men, but use your freedom to serve God. Then he says here, hey, you're called to be free. But serve one another in what? Love. You see, there's a purpose for our freedom in Christ. It's to love God and to love each other. Because we have the freedom to do so. Amen? It's not a freedom that says, Woohoo, I'm free. I can do whatever I want. How many of you remember the last day of school before summer? Counting it down in sixth period. Right? It's, it's funny because, you know, I've had a bunch of kids come through Nordoff and I, sometimes I had to pick them up on the last day. And you wait and you wait. You hear the bell ring. What do you hear? Woo! Right? Freedom! Right? Summer's here! Right? Well, God says, in Christ, enjoy freedom! Woo-hoo! But don't just use it for yourself. Use your freedom to love God. Use your freedom to love each other, right? not about you he doesn't he, it's not don't, don't turn it into a selfish thing is what he's saying so last couple of weeks we have this idea that covenant 
means the end of independent living. Covenant also means something very, very important. And we're going we're to slide into it this morning. If you've seen your notes, entering into covenant is the end of self-governance. Self-governance or autonomy. The ability or their right to, to call the shots. The ability or the right sort of to call the shots. And, it, and it's really, this one we're going we're gonna to really camp on for, for a little bit. Because like I said, the, the, the idea of covenant really runs counter to a lot of the values in our culture. See, the first one, covenant is the end of independent living. How many of you were raised to be independent? Hey, go to school, get a good job, take care of business so that you don't need to depend on anyone. So many of us were raised in this culture that says, be independent. Dependence is a weakness. Right? And now all of a sudden the Bible says, hey, without you we can do nothing. Hey, you're in the body of Christ. You need each other. You see? Along comes Jesus, and as a believer, he flips it. He flips the world's values. That's why this is like, oh, oh, man. This kind of pushes some buttons even for me. Because if we were raised, I was raised, be independent. Be successful, be independent. This one right here is the same thing. We are raised in our culture to be the boss. How many of you ever had an older brother or sister who tried to boss you around? Right? What did you used to say growing up? You're not the boss of me. Anyone ever say that? You're not the boss of me. Hey, Mom, so-and-so trying to boss me around. Right? This idea of having a boss or someone bossing you around. I'm supposed to be successful. I'm supposed to get to a certain level of material comfort, wealth, status, prestige, where I'm kind of calling the shots. And this idea that this covenant relationship with God ends self-governance, Ooh. Ooh. It, it, it takes a bit. It takes more than a few minutes on a Sunday morning. I encourage you, this, this is the kind of stuff that you've got to go home and let God really search your heart. Because my guess is most, if not all of us in this room, like to be the boss. And we have a hard time and something rears up in us when someone tries to tell us what to do. I'll be honest. There are times when we're driving and my wife assumes I'm lost (laughs) and begins to encourage me to ask for directions, to stop, to lovingly boss me around. Right? Immediately. Don't tell me. I know where I'm going. We'll get there. Right? All kinds of different ways. It can, po- it can, it can rear up in all kinds of different ways. Someone says something, all of a sudden you just, and you're like, what is that? Because someone's telling you what to do. Someone's trying to boss you around. Right? And this idea of covenant with God, where it's the end of self-governance, it's the end of me being the boss, I got to tell you, for many of us, this is, this is where we struggle with sin. 
Because think about it. When you are tempted to sin, and you know that it may be something that is directly opposed to Scripture, there's not even, it's not even a gray. Right? What's going on at that moment, at that crossroads of temptation? Who's the boss? Who's the boss? Am I going to yield to the authority of God as he, spoke, as he speaks through Scripture? Or am I going to assert my autonomy? I'm a big boy. I'm a man. I could do what I want. Right? Huh? That's, isn't that, for many of us, the crux of sin? Is this idea that I'm going to assert myself even over Scripture. Even over Scripture. And I thought about this. How can we understand this in a way uh, that helps us frame it correctly? Well, we have to go all the way back to the very first verse of the Bible. So go to Genesis 1.1. So when we enter into covenant, it is the end of self-governance. I'm no longer the boss. And how can we understand this in the, in the big picture biblically, right? Well, let, let's put it in some overarching context. Genesis 1.1. 1, 1. Right? Let's read this together. Ready, set, go. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Okay, well, we'll stay on one, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Amen? Right? We tend to look at that in a physical sense. We tend to focus on creation versus evolution, right? But for here, we believe that. On the authority of Scripture, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, this verse means a whole lot to me because 20 years ago, when I was in the school of evangelism, as one of our exercises, they encouraged us to pick what they called a life verse. Now, it may change occasionally, but they said pick a life verse, one that, that God just grabs you with, one that just seems to come back to you. So I prayed and I waited and Lo and behold, it was Genesis 1-1. And I'm like, okay. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And I realized, and I shared with my classmates, it's more than just physical creation here. When you say, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right off the bat, it sets the structure. God is creator. Everything else is what? Created. So if you're affirming in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, you're really affirming beyond the physical things that we see that He is creator, I am what? Created. Right? He is sovereign. He's the boss. Right? There's, there's, a, there's an attribute called the sovereignty of God. Listen to this. The sovereignty of God is the biblical teaching that all things are under God's rule and control. And nothing happens without His direction or permission. The sovereignty of God is not merely that God has the power and right to govern all things, but that He does so, always and without exception. So not only if you affirm that God created everything, then you're affirming His sovereignty. He's the boss. King of kings, Lord of lords. Amen? That verse right there is enough to chew on. And that principle, okay, God, 
you're creator, you're sovereign, you're the boss, I'm created. That right away can start to work on our heart. Creator, created. Sounds kind of simple, right? Unless we look a little, fast forward just a little bit in the timeline of history. Actually, we're going to go back. Actually, it's going back from creation. Where somebody else was created very nicely in the presence of God. He was created, but something happened. Turn to Isaiah. Who am I talking about? Satan, Lucifer, the devil, right? Isaiah 14. Now, in Ezekiel, he's described as one of the most beautiful of all God's creatures, right? Isaiah 14, verse 12. How you have fallen from heaven, O morning star, son of the dawn. You have been cast down to the earth, you you who once laid low the nations. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of the assembly, on the utmost heights of the sacred mountain. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to the grave, to the depths of the So here's Lucifer, one of the most beautiful creations. But in his heart, he begins to say, I will, I will, I will. What's he doing? He's asserting, right? I will. I'm going to do this. Look at that. Verse 14, I mean, verse 13. You said, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned. I will ascend above. Right? What's he saying? I'm going to be God. And at the core, for many of us, like I said, when we come down to this, having to decide what to do with the temptation of sin, for many of us, it's, I will be God. I will run my life the way I want to. So Genesis 1-1 sets the whole thing. Creator, created. Isaiah, we see the, the example of examples. A created being, the devil, says, you know what? I don't like that arrangement. I don't like being created. I don't like being under God. I'm going to assert myself. I will. I will. I will. Right? And this is the same thing that he used where? In the garden. Turn to Genesis 3. Genesis 3, 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be what? 
like God, knowing good and evil. So what, did, what was the carrot that, that the devil dangled in front of Eve? You'll be like God. Oh, man, come on, enough of being the created. Enough of listening to his rules. Eat this, you're going to be just like him. God, the boss. The boss. And if we're honest, in our, in our nature, how many of us like to be the boss? Huh? <laughs> right? Right? There's parts of us. It may not be necessarily running a company or in different areas. We like to be in charge. We like to be the boss. And that's the same thing that the devil threw out to Eve. Hey, Eve, eat this, flip the structure. You don't have to be under God. You're going to be just like him. He's your peer. He's now, we're like this. You're going to be like him. You'll be like him. Enough of this created stuff. Enough of, you know, who needs his rules? That's the same thing that we deal with today. The same thing we deal with today. Anytime you are tempted to sin, it's really a temptation to be like God. Assert your autonomy. Assert your ability to do what you want. That's what we're struggling with. This, this is the heart. And, and, and we're wondering, is there, is there anything in the New Testament that, that kind of talks about this struggle, right? Turn to Romans. Turn to Romans. Romans 1. Starting in verse 18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what, was, what has been made, so that men are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in, in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served what? Created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Amen. What is Romans saying? Hey, there's a truth that's known. Look around. There is a Creator and there is created. And when it says they suppress the truth, that's the truth. They're holding it down. They don't, want to, they don't want to accept that truth in their heart. They're suppressing it. No, no, I don't like that. No, no, I don't like that. I don't like that truth. I don't like this creator, created authority structure, right? They suppress it, and then it says, right, they exchange the truth of God for a lie. What's the lie? You can be your own boss. So you don't, you're independent of God. Let's worship the created instead of the creator. That's the lie. The lie is, 
you can step out of the creator-created dynamic and be your own boss. And let's just worship man. You see that in our culture today. What are people elevating? Man. The created. Suddenly, man is the authority on everything. Right? And this idea of submission and surrender and, and obedience to the Word of God. Where are you? What, what century are you living in? This is 2015. It's all about man. It's all about man's intelligence, man's technology, man's philosophy. Man's got this world wired. Right? It's the lie. And people suppress the truth and they exchange it for the lie. Why? Because we like that. We like to be the boss. We like to be the boss. Right? And so how do we work through this? How, how can we get over this sort of like, okay, okay, I see this. I see this. I see there's creator. There's created. I don't want to be like the devil. Right? I don't want to be like Eve. How many of you look at Eve, honestly, when you read the story of Genesis? How many of you have ever read it and go, how could they be so dumb? Honestly, right? Perfect environment, fellowship with God, all their needs met, no shame, no guilt, nothing. Right? You read that, they eat the apple, and you go like, really? Really, Eve? And really, Adam? But we should probably do that for ourselves, too. When, when we have this freedom in Christ, when we have this freedom and we're free from the slavery of sin, and God says, I love you, I want the best for you, my grace and mercies are new every day, right? And we choose to go, Kow. next time you go, Kow. on something, go like this, really? Right, Cindy? Just to have a Cindy moment. Really, Cindy? Because that's kind of what we do when we sin, right? How many have ever sinned? Don't say what it was, okay? <laughs> How many have ever sinned and had a really moment? Had a, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I did that. All the time, <laughs> right? Why? Because in that moment, you kind of succumb to this, I want to do it. Come on, just do it. Right? And we talked about one of the lies of the devil for sin is, hey man, it's going to be fun. You're not going to get caught. In fact, there'll be more freedom. And we saw that sin actually leads to what? More bondage. Think about it, addictions. It started out as freedom to do what you want, freedom to put what you want in your body. Now you're in bondage to addiction. Right? But it started out as a lie. More freedom, more independence, you end up in bondage, in shackles. Right? So how do we do this? Because here's the thing we have to be very careful about. When we elevate self and we become the boss, it takes this much to go from what they call self-deification, which means our self becomes God, to self-indulgence. See, if you're the boss, you can do whatever you want with no fear of judgment. So self-deification, becoming your own God, is that far away, that fast, to self-indulgence. Because there's no fear. Do what you want. You're the boss. Right? How do we deal with this? How do we understand this as believers? Because this is something that the devil plays with us all the time. We have to understand the nature of this thing we call covenant. 
When we became a believer and we entered into covenant with God, it was a very specific type of covenant. Okay? In your notes there, right? We're just going to kind of introduce it and we're going to spend more time on this next week. The Greek words for covenant or testament, the first one is what we call suntheke. Suntheke is like a treaty or an agreement made between equal parties, like a contract where there's negotiation, right? Let's make a deal, okay? You see that in the Bible. You kind of see that in the world. It's two equal parties. Tina, we're going to negotiate. We're going to hammer out a deal. Suntheke. We're going to enter into covenant. Okay, but I see you as an equal. That is not how the Bible refers to our relationship with God. And you've got to understand this. Diatheke is the type of covenant relationship you, you are in if you call yourself a Christian. When you become a Christian, you enter into a diatheke covenant with God. It's an arrangement made by one party with plenary power. He's, he's, he's in control. He's the authority which the other party may accept or reject, but cannot alter. It is a covenant between a greater and a lesser. If the example is someone who makes a will. Bill's going to make a will. Yeah, he has the authority. It's his estate. He can dispose of it as he wants. That's diatheke, right? It's up to you. You make the call, right? The example is a king with his subjects, a benefactor, a beneficiary. The phrase to remember diatheke is take it or leave it. That, if you call yourself a Christian, that is the nature of the covenant relationship you are in right here, right now. You are in a diatheke relationship with God. Greater to lesser. Many of us get in trouble in this idea of wanting to be like Jesus because we see God like this. Soon thank you. So God. I read in your word. But let's talk about that. Because you say, but I don't really like it. So let's negotiate terms. How many of us do that? We see God. We get this covenant thing, but we thought we think we're equal. And so we decide that we're going to negotiate or even eliminate some of God's word because we don't like it. Diatheke says, okay, Lord, the greater, the lesser. Your will be done. Okay. Why is that important? Why is this so, so very important? Because it comes to the core of this wonderful relationship we have. If we can just rest in this, now, there's a part of us right now, some of you are probably like, Ugh! Mm! there's a party right now that's probably like, mm! Mm! and maybe the devil's like, Ugh, dude, really? Really? There's a part of you that's like cringing inside. You're not, your stomach's in the knot because you were raised to be the boss. And you like being the boss. And this idea of greater, lesser, creator, created, take it or leave it, because it affects every area of your life. He is the greater and we are the lesser in every area of our life. And so I want to encourage you. You've got you to you chew on this for a little bit, guys. We're not in a Sunthaki covenant. We don't negotiate with God. 
We don't eliminate what we don't like from Scripture. It's God's Word. He's the greater. We're the lesser. We say, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. We submit. Now, how many of you, this, this might help, how many of you have ever thought of the gospel in terms of diatheke, in terms of him making the terms? See, when we share the gospel, it's good news. Amen? Amen, right? Let me read you some verses and, and hear it now through diatheke. Greater to lesser, he sets the terms we either accept it or reject it. Here's, here's a good one. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Who's setting the terms? What's the terms? Believe on Jesus, and you're no longer condemned. Do you hear it now through the eyes of diatheke? God's saying, here's the deal, guys. The gospel is on my terms. Here's a good one. John 14:6. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You hear the diatheke? Jesus greater, telling all of us the terms. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Take it or leave it. You hear it now? See, when you became a Christian, here's the thing. You accepted God's terms. You accepted God's terms of salvation. He's another term. We are saved by grace through faith, not by, not by works. Who set those terms? The boss man. You either accept it or reject it. You can't alter it. If you're a Christian, you were saved because you submitted to diatheke terms on the front end already. Amen? Now the challenge is and the encouragement is, stay there. <laughs> Amen? Stay there. You believe Jesus is your Lord and Savior. You believe you're saved by grace through faith. All of those terms were set by the boss man. And at a certain point in your life, you opened your eyes, the Holy Spirit opened your eyes and said, Yes! Yes, yes, yes. I submit to your truth. Yes, Jesus is the way. Yes, I, I place my faith in Christ alone. You are just accepting the terms. Now in your sanctification process, every day, here's a great prayer. Lord, today, can I just accept your terms? In the power of the Holy Spirit, I just want to be submitted and remain submitted to your terms. <sighs> and here's the thing. We'll close with this. Turn to John 10. How many of you tend to think not being the boss is a bad thing? Like, you're kind of bummed out that you're not the boss, right? Like, okay, Tina's tired of being the boss, <laughs> right? Here's what I want to end with. A very encouraging note. I encourage you, maybe use this for devotions. John 10, 1 through 10, speaks about Jesus being the shepherd and the gate and us being what? The sheep. I want, we're going to read these verses, and I want you to hear the blessings that come from being in diatheke. Not the bum, the bummed outness. Oh, he's going to ruin my life. Oh, he's the boss. I'm going to have no friends. I'm going to have no fun. Being a Christian so boring. Is that what diatheke is? 
How many of you, your life is absolutely fantastic since you became a Christian? Not perfect, just like fulfilled, right? Look around the room. Look how many people you know. Look at what God has done. Why is that? That's diatheki. That's diatheki. John 10, look at this. Verse 1, I tell you the truth. The man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of his sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, I tell you the truth. I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. John 14, 6, right? He will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Jesus, the gate and the shepherd, says he came to have this intimate relationship with us, the sheep, so that you and I can have abundant, full life. Amen? The next time you start to get bummed out that you're in this diatheke relationship and, oh, I'm not independent and I'm not the boss anymore, read John 10. And understand that Jesus says, when you come in through me, through the gate, here's the deal. You find security. You find provision. I know your name. You know my voice. You have intimacy with me. And I, he says straight up, I have come that you and I would have a full, abundant life. He's talking about quality. In this diatheke relationship of greater to lesser, of shepherd to sheep, of creator to created, who reaps all the benefit? We do. Who does? Okay. We were sinners on our way to hell. God says, here's my terms, guys. Believe on Jesus by grace through faith. Okay. I did that. I am complete, loved, accepted, pleasing, clothed in the righteousness of Christ, indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Heaven is my home. Who's reaping the benefits of submitting to diatheke? We are, right? You see, diatheke is all about the greatest benefactor. And we're just the beneficiaries. Amen? It's all about love. See, he, in the beginning, let me note to self, God didn't need us. <laughs> he, was, he was around long before we came along, guys. He doesn't really need us. In His grace and His mercy and His love, he provided terms for salvation. You receive those terms of salvation. And he just says, would you just remain in that diatheke with me? And if you do that, you will have an abundant life beyond anything you could ever even think of. Amen? 